Okay, well, let's dive into the Word of God tonight. Um, I'm excited about what I'm going to share with you, and uh, this is something that's that's really important to me. It's something that I'm really passionate. There, there are a lot of things that I'm passionate about when it comes to speaking and when it comes to being able to speak to other Christians or people who don't know Jesus. The most important thing I would be passionate about is leading other people to the Lord, but the second thing is getting people to actually become followers of Jesus, and not just friends of Jesus, and not just lovers of Jesus, but actually followers of Jesus, you know, because if we're going to, you become, you look like who you follow, you know, you understand that principle, that you, you begin to look like the person that you begin to follow, or the meth, methodology, or the system that you begin to follow, because you're going to follow something, or you're going to follow someone, okay? There is no neutral ground in this world. There's no neutral ground, you know, when it comes to culture or society. You are going to fall for something, and you're going to follow something, and you're going to lean hard into something. And as Christians, it's important for us to move from being a friend to being a follower, because when you move from being a friend to being a follower, it means that when you follow Jesus, you really do begin to look like him. Because uh, I think it's, uh, no, I, I can't say, it might be like Matthew, Luke 6, 6 4, or something like that, but don't, don't quote me on that. I get this mixed up a lot, but it's, the scripture is this, that the student can never be greater than the master, but if he's fully discipled, he will look like the master. He will look like the teacher is what another translation says. So when we're fully discipled and we become a follower of Jesus Christ, that scripture tells us that we will start to look like Jesus Christ. Because that is the purpose of Christianity. It's not so that I would look like me, and it's not so that you would look like you, it's so that you would look like a person, not like a book, Okay, not like a spirit or a fog, but like a person. And that person would be Jesus Christ. And there are things that shape us into looking like Jesus. And here's the thing. There are defining moments in our relationship with Jesus. Okay, you have to understand that. You know, when I grew up, and I got saved. I, I actually really love my testimony. I, I don't have one of these super, super impactful testimonies about one of these guys that maybe like my dad that came from so much and God delivered him and sent him back in to make a great difference into that type of lifestyle. But I do love my testimony because it was not one of emotion. It was one of really the Holy Spirit wooing me. Because when I got born again, I was only eight years old. And when I was standing in church, uh, with my, next to my parents, my mom and my dad, and, and here, you know, and we're sitting as a family at church, and then all of a sudden, Pastor Ron has an altar call, and it's one of the most simplest altar calls. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you come this way and find someone to pray with. And there's something started happening on the inside of me. What it was is it was the Holy Spirit drawing me. It was the Holy Spirit wooing me is what the Bible teaches. Like a man were, were to woo a woman and, and chase a woman and, and pursue her, the Holy Spirit begins to begin to woo us. And that's what happened. All of a sudden, I tugged on my dad's sleeve and I said, Dad, I want to go down front. And he says, well, go ahead, Bubba. And I go down there and, and I pray with Cynthia Miller and I grab her hands and I'm crying and I'm eight years old and I'm praying to receive Jesus and I have no idea why I'm doing this. There's no one down at the altar, but I knew that God was doing something on the inside of me. I knew that. I knew the Holy Spirit was drawing me, even though I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was or who Jesus was. So then I began to serve the Lord the best that I knew how. I began to be discipled by Pastor Ron and my Sunday school leaders and, and by my old youth pastor, and I began to be fully discipled by them. And, and there was this passion, there was this fire, man, that was on the inside of me 
when I was serving the Lord at such a young age, I would go to my high school and, and I would find someone to lead to the Lord. I would find someone to pray with in public. I, I, I would find someone to read the Bible with. There was so much passion. There was so much zeal in my life. And I was, cl- I was clearly leading my life. I was leading my life and I was leading my life after the Lord. Okay, and as I began to get older and as I began to get a job and I began to enter into the workforce and go to school and go to college and I began to, you know, work at different jobs and live life and experience heartbreaks and experience emotions, something began to happen where it began, it began to be hard to sustain the same love that I had for Jesus. Something happened. Circumstances started showing up. Relationships started showing up. Decisions started showing up. Work started showing up. And then all of a sudden, there were moments in my life where instead of me leading my life, my life was leading me. And all of a sudden, I had lost something with the Lord. I had lost something, and there wasn't that same zeal and that same passion, and it was hard to have that kind of sustaining love with Jesus and sustaining love for Jesus. And, and, and we know that. We know that from life because you know what? Life is difficult. Life is tough. Jesus said it himself. He said, listen, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. He said, this is not going to be super easy. Life is not all about, you know, making you being happy and you being comfortable and, and everything, this life is about you. Sometimes it's going to cost you more than it serves you. Jesus told that. When, when people begin to walk away from him preaching, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you begin to see that sometimes it's going to cost you more than it serves you. And people begin to up, I want to be a friend, but I don't want to be a follower. And so I realized in my life at that moment, and through those seasons that it was difficult to sustain the same love that I once had for Jesus when I was younger. And if that, if that season of my life in different seasons, there's a defining moment with Jesus. Just like there's a defining moment in every relationship when it comes to a boy and a girl and a man and a woman, there becomes a defining moment in that relationship. When two people get to know each other, they begin to spend time together, and there becomes a defining moment of where is this going? Where is this going? Do you love me? Do you not love me? Do you see marriage in our future? Do you not see marriage in our future? And then a man and a woman, a boy and a girl, however young or however old they may be, they have a defining moment. Because understand this about relationships. Relationships are always moving forwards or they're always moving backwards. There is no neutral with relationships. There is no neutral with life. There is no neutral with Jesus. Your relationship, like those of you who are married, you had a defining moment and you began to move forward into courtship, into a marriage. Your relationship with Jesus has the ability to move forwards or it has the ability to move backwards. But your life with serving Jesus is never neutral, just like a relationship. And just like you had that defining moment with that guy or with that girl, you have that defining moment in your life with Jesus. There are defining moments in life with Jesus. And some of the decisions that we make every day are shaping those defining moments that we have with Jesus. It's, a, it, it's, it's as if Jesus is sitting across the table from us and he's having a defining moment with us saying, are you really serious about being a follower? Are you really serious 
about following me. And you can feel the tension, and we have moments like that. We have moments from messages, or we have moments from songs, or we have moments with the Holy Spirit when we spend time with God where you feel that this is a defining moment. Am I going to lean into fear, or am I going to lean into faith? Am I going to lean into God's blessings for my life, or am I going to lean into doubting all of my life? And there's that defining moment where you make that choice. And the guy who I want to talk about tonight, his name was Peter. And Peter, in the Bible, was one of the disciples, and I'm sure most everybody here has heard of Peter, but Peter had some pretty major defining moments. He had some huge defining moments. And listen, here's the great thing for us, is that some of those defining moments were really bad for Peter, and some of those defining moments were really good. So that helps us out, because I know I've had a lot of defining moments that were really bad. And they, they shaped a little bit of my destiny and where I am now, and they set me back a little bit or for a season or for a year or so. And that was kind of that defining moment that said, man, this is yikes. And there's that moment where Jesus, I felt like, was sitting across the table from me going, Ryan, where's this going? Are you really serious about following me? And I feel that tension all the time. You know, I own a business. Uh, I'm not working at the church full time anymore. You know what? There is a lure for me to step away from my calling and to enter business world and be so focused on business world that I can enter into that world. And you know what? I love business. I love that stuff. I love going out making deals. But you know what? I feel like the Lord, when he wakes me up and I spend time with him, I feel like there's those defining moments to say, Ryan, Are you really serious about following me? Would you lay everything down in order to follow me and be into full-time ministry? Or whatever that may be. I feel that tug. I feel that tension there. And that may not be, it may be this, you know, different for every person, but we all have those defining moments in our life. And Peter, just to give you a little bit about Peter real quick, Peter was a, he was a rough fisherman guy, um, And all of a sudden, Jesus did this incredible thing, and he filled their boats with fish when they weren't catching anything. And he said this, he said, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter signed up, he signed up to follow Jesus. He probably heard about his reputation back in the day a little bit, but all of a sudden, really, you get the sense that Peter absolutely followed Jesus because of what he did just now. He filled their boats, and he thought, well, man, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm not going to miss out on the adventure of a lifetime, you know, and, and just take over the father's business and become a fisherman. When this guy can do incredible things, I'm going to follow him. Well, he started to follow Jesus, and he spends time about three and a half years in the ministry of Jesus. He spends about three and a half, three years or so with Jesus, learning and being having face-to-face encounters with Jesus, face-to-face taught every day with Jesus. I mean, he is right there. And then he has this one big defining moment, this one huge defining moment where Jesus is asking the disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? What's the word around town about me? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. And some say, and they're naming off all these things and nobody's nobody's getting it right. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord came over Peter. The Spirit of the Lord came over him and gave him a rhema word for that moment, that defining moment. Gave him a rhema word and he stood up and he said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And he says, and Jesus looks at him and says, man, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but this was revealed to you by the Spirit of the Lord. And he said, now I'm going to change your name from Simon, that's what he was originally called, to Peter, which means the rock, because I'm going to build my church on the rock, which means, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. That's huge. 
That's a guy that went from being a nasty, uneducated, filthy fisherman to all of a sudden being the rock that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to build his church on. That means, Peter, I just gave you a lot of responsibility. I just gave you a calling like no other. I just gave you a calling that you would have never imagined when you were fishing out of that little dinky boat. I just gave you some serious responsibility, some serious influence for the kingdom, Peter. And then he has this other defining moment after that one where Jesus starts talking about this plan where they're going to crucify him and they're going to kill him. And he's not really unveiling the plan of God and he's not really unveiling a lie, but he's saying, listen, guys, you need to listen real close because I'm not going to be with you forever. Because there's going to become a day where they're going to come, they're going to crucify me, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are so confused, and he takes Peter aside. and Or, or, or excuse me, Peter takes Jesus aside, and he says, you can't say things like that. Jesus, this is not good for our following. You know, this is, you know, I forbid you to go and to do this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks at him in this defining moment. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan was using Peter to try to destroy the plan of God, to try to infiltrate the plan of God. And Peter was completely being used by Satan to try to destroy that plan. So all of a sudden, he has this incredible, terrible, defining moment of, Peter, you're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing things clearly. And then there's another defining moment after that where he says, uh, Jesus, again, is talking about being taken away and being arrested and being crucified. And he says, I will not let you. You can feel the emotion from the verse when you read it. And you can almost hear Peter, and you could feel the same way that we would be. When we don't see the plan of God, we react in that same way. You know, we would react in this way. He says, I will not let you go to prison. I will not let you be taken away, and I forbid you to die, and I'll die before you do, and I'll give my life for you. And you feel this emotion like, yeah, way to go, Peter. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, before the rooster crows, before morning even gets here, before you even see the sun, you're going to deny ever knowing me, even my existence, even that we hung out for three years. You're going you're gonna to deny everything. To one of those people is a small girl you're going to deny because you're going to live, you're going to be just captivated by so much fear and you're going to deny every, ever knowing me because your whole world you'll think would be falling apart, Peter. You don't even get it right now. And then what, what did Peter feel then? That was a huge defining moment for him. Let's read John 21, verse 15. It says this. Here's another big one. This is after Jesus has died. John 21, 15. Jesus has died. He's been raised on the, he was raised again on the third day or raised from the dead on the third day. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Sealed Christianity. Amen. Verse 15, it says this, and our, this is the third time he's appearing to the disciples. Okay. After he's been raised from the dead and before he ascends into heaven for good until he comes back again. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He's saying these because all these fish, because once again they were fishing and they didn't catch anything all night and there was a man on the shore and he says, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and they caught 153 fish or something like that. And, uh, and so they've got a pile of fish here. And it said that when, when, when Peter saw it was Jesus, he realized it was Jesus, he jumped out of the boat to swim 150 yards 
to Jesus. That's insane. He was pretty excited to see Jesus, as I would be too. And so uh, Jesus called Peter over to kind of have a little breakfast and slap him around a little bit at the same time. So that's where we're at. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Our ears might say, feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Notice he's calling him Simon now instead of Peter. And that's pretty interesting that he's calling him his original name because, you know, he was acting like who he used to be. <laughs> I don't know the relevance of that. I didn't study that part, but I know it's there somewhere. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said to him. Then feed my sheep. Last verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. That was speaking of the death that Peter would receive one day. He was kind of prophesying that, you know, telling, for, you know, for, in foreshadowing, saying, Peter, you're going to be crucified. And, you know, just like I was, and you're going to be a martyr for my sake. And he was saying, you know, that this, if you really do love me, then this is the life that I have for you. This is the future. So it's interesting that he ended with that good news for Peter. So anyway, but here's what's interesting. When you read this passage and when you read this section of this chapter, Jesus drags Peter aside and they're having breakfast. This is about 40 days after Peter had denied Jesus. Only 40. Okay, now I want you to catch the gravity of this. This is cool. Thank God for the grace of God. Because you don't understand, Peter hung out with Jesus face to face for three years, three and a half years, and was discipled by him. And then he denied ever knowing him. If you did not know the outcome of this story, and you were to have to guess what Jesus was going to do, you would probably say he cursed him, he sent him away to live in a cave for the rest of his life, he took away any possibility of having children. You know, you could see just the roughest of outcomes for Peter, because he denied ever knowing. Could you build a church on someone that just denied ever knowing you? Our our thoughts and what we would probably do in that situation is catastrophic compared to what Jesus did after only 40 days of denying him. Thank God for the grace of God. He takes him aside, he sits him down, and he has the biggest defining moment of his life. And he says this to Peter. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. And here's what's interesting. The word that Jesus used, the Greek word for love, is agape love, unconditional love, sacrificial love. So basically, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally? Can you see the, the sit-down moment, defining moment of the relationship? Peter, where is this going? And he says, Peter, do you agape me? And, of course, Peter responds back, yes, I love you. Of course I love you, Lord. But his love is phileo, which is friendship, neighborly love, affectionate love, like we would love each other at church. 
It's not the mother of a son type of love. It's not the father of a son. It's just an affectionate, hey, you're my friend. Let's take a photo together. You know, we spend a lot of time together. It's a neighborly love. It's not the same kind of love that Jesus was asking him to. And then he asked him again. He says, hey, Peter, I want to ask you again. Do you really agape me? And Peter responds again with, yes, Lord. I phileo you. I neighborly love you. I friend love you. You see the, you see the tension in the defining moment of Peter. I need you to feed my sheep. I've given you a calling. I've given you a responsibility. I've anointed you. I've sent you out. I've anointed you to preach the gospel. I want to build my church on you, Peter, but I can't do that with with phileo love. I need agape. Because what you just demonstrated when your whole world was falling apart and everything was getting chaotic and all of a sudden you fell into fear, you know what you demonstrated? Neighborly love. I need you to move from neighborly love to agape love because that's the person I can build my church on. I can't build my church on phileo love. I can't build my church on someone who is, is, is halfway interested. Halfway interested in chasing after the Lord. Halfway interested in building a church. Halfway dedicated. I need someone who is fully committed. Who is absolutely fully influenced by the Holy Spirit. Someone that is absolutely devoted to having a relationship and loving me unconditionally. So when it comes to those moments when I ask you to do something, you agape me. You don't phileo me. And so he asked him this again. And finally, Peter just gives up, which was great, which is what he should have done from the beginning. Lord, you know all things. You just tell me how I love you. And then Peter walks away from this moment, and he just tears and begins to just, man, do incredible things and get people healed, get people delivered, preach the gospel, and thousands are saved. And all of a sudden, People are in numbers and people and salvations are being added to the church daily because thousands, 3,000 people at a time, 5,000 people are getting, uh, getting saved at a time. Why? Because Peter is standing up preaching into the, uh, preaching the gospel. And then all of a sudden something happens from this defining moment where he was phileo loving Jesus to agape. And then all of a sudden his life looked completely, completely different. And he began to advance the kingdom of God and walk according to his calling. And see, so why am I saying that tonight? The reason why I'm saying that is because I believe that each one of us has a calling and has a gifting. And I believe that the only way to operate in that calling, to operate in that gifting, and, and to absolutely do the most for the kingdom of God, we have to move from a place of phileo love to agape unconditionally love. Because there's going to come a moment in your life, you're going to have a defining moment where you're either going to give in and surrender and give up complete control to Jesus being the Lord of your life so that you can agape him, so that you can fully operate in everything that God has for you to operate in. But what awaited Peter on the other side of that phileo love was everything that he, he could have never imagined. Thousands of people getting born again, people being raised from the dead, people being sick, uh, you know, going before the high council, uh, churches being to, begin to be spread all throughout the year. The New Testament happened because of these guys, because he moved from a place of phileo love to agape love. He moved, he had that defining 
moment. And the thing I see so much in, in myself, the thing that I see so much in church today is I see people that move in a phileo type of love. In a neighborly, affectionate friendship, you know, you know, I hear people say, you know, most people would say they love Jesus. Most people would say that. Are you a Christian? Yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. But my question is, I don't want to hear those things, do you look like Jesus? Because I'm not striving just to love Jesus. I'm not striving to say I love him. I'm striving to look like him. Because when I look like him, people are added to the church daily. People are experiencing the presence of God because of my life when I look like him. When I look like myself, I am not affecting anybody else. But when I step into a place beyond neighborly, affectionate, friendship love to an agape, unconditional love, that's when I begin to look like Jesus and that's when things begin to become interesting in my life. And people begin to see the presence of God on me. People begin to experience Jesus, you know, working through me. And they begin to hear Jesus. And it's not me, but it's Jesus working through me. Because the character of Christ is not something that I can just manufacture. It's something that has to flow through me. Because I can't wake up and, and, and say, well, I'm just going to be like Jesus. There is a way that I am able to look like Jesus. And the same way that we tap into that, that agape love, is the same way that Peter did. And it was through the Holy Spirit. It was absolutely through the Holy Spirit. When Acts 4.8, when the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit began to fail, began to fall in the upper room, and they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after he died, and the Holy Spirit became to dwell on the inside of him like he does on the inside of him, everything changed from then on. Uh, 2 Corinthians, let me read this verse. This is, this, is, this is great. This is how we move from phileo to agape. It says this, John 14, 26, Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, that's capital there, the helper, not some guy, little old man that's going to come help you in your travels, the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. So Jesus is giving you the way, and he's giving the disciples the way to sustain the love, the agape love, and discover the agape love and how to operate in that agape, unconditional love. He's saying the helper, the Holy Spirit, a person is going to come to you. He's going to live on the inside of you. He's going to dwell on the inside of you. And he's going to teach you all good things. And then he says this. This is cool. He's going to bring into your remembrance all things that I have spoken. So, you've got Jesus, who is the model of agape love, who we're supposed to be looking like. Jesus is the model of people that were, uh, of the person that we're supposed to look like. That's who, uh, when I read the Bible, I desire to look like him. The way that I'm able to look like him is not by a mental decision that I make that I say, today, I want to look like Jesus. You know, today I'm going to imitate Jesus or what would Jesus do? You know, and, and, and it, there is more to it than that because I don't have the ability to change myself. If I had the ability to change myself, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. 
I can't make a mental decision to make to look more like Jesus. The only person, the helper, the Holy Spirit, by spending time with him and by him renewing me daily, makes me look like Jesus. And then not only does it make me look like Jesus, but he brings into remembrance all the things that Jesus said. That's what changed Peter. You see, I know this because in Acts 4, it said that after they had like healed a, a, a lame man at the, uh, at the gate beautiful and they were arrested for it and all this stuff, crazy things started happening, but it said, you know, uh, the, the high council said, we can't doubt the things that we, we see and, and we can't hold you in, in, you know, in attempt for anything and we're just going to let you go. And all these, it said that when Peter and John went back to their people, it said that they begin to, they prayed this amazing prayer. They begin to pray and they begin to say, Herod and Pilate only fell into your hands. You had a plan all along, God. And now we have this aha moment where we finally see what Jesus was talking about. We finally see the plan of God and that Jesus dying was the ultimate victory and the ultimate redemption for all of mankind. You know what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit two chapters before that. Two chapters later when they're praying, they have this aha moment. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit bringing into remembrance the things that Jesus had said. That's why it's so crucial for me to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit every day. And it's not through just memorization of the word that, that's needed so that it can be there. It can be in our soul and be in our spirit. And, it, and it's not me making a mental decision. It's me waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, renew me. Holy Spirit, make me look more like the sun. Whatever that's on the inside of me, I want you to reveal it so that I can get rid of it. Because I want to look more like Jesus. He said, I'm sending you the helper so that you don't have to try to figure it out. And the only person that can move me from this neighborly love and friendship love that I have for Jesus, the only person that can really move you from glory to glory and from level to level is the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, New Living Translation, so all of us who have had the veil removed, that's speaking of us, people that have been born again and people that have been saved, have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Wow, that's amazing right there. Because the veil was pierced and the veil was removed, we can not only see the glory of the Lord, but we can reflect. Just like a mirror reflects anything that it sees, we do that. We mirror the glory of the Lord. As we see it, we reflect the glory of the Lord to other people. That's, that's amazing. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image, speaking of Jesus. So he's saying this, and New King James Version says this, that it moves you, the Holy Spirit transforms you and moves you from glory to glory, which means moves you from level to level. I don't know about you, but I want to move. If a relationship is not neutral and it's moving forwards or backwards, I want to move forwards and move from level to level. I want to move from glory to glory and operate in the fullness of God and everything that his word has for me and every promise that he has for me, I need to move from level to level. But the only person that moves me and transforms me into moving from level to level and glory to glory is relationship with a person, and that's the Holy Spirit. Because he's a person. 
And I have relationship with him. And when I spend time with someone long enough, I begin to take on their nature. You know, I spent two days with Joel and Nathan at, at the lake house. I mean, I talked in this country voice, this country hick voice all the way home to myself, repeating the things that the guys had said because I had spent two days with them. And I thought, what, what, what the heck am I talking about? I'm just mimicking them. And we all started it. it, it if you could have been around us three, it all sounded the same. Because we spent two days together, like, you know, 17 hours a day, and it's the same with the person that you're married to, it's the same with your family, it's the same with your friends. Whoever you spend time with, that person, you begin to take on their nature. Whenever I begin to spend time with the Holy Spirit, He is a person, and I take on His nature. Because the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians, talks about long-suffering and patience and kindness and gentleness and joy and peace and all these fruits of the Spirit. Those are human characteristics, right? And the Holy Spirit is a person. So whenever I spend time with Him, these human characteristics, they start to come out of me and they're produced in me and through me and I begin to look more and more like the image of Jesus. Not because of a mental decision that I make, but because I'm simply spending time with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm producing fruit in my life, and I'm walking in a unconditional love that's willing to lay down my life, willing to relinquish control, willing to give anything. In that, those, those defining moments, I respond with a positive answer because the Holy Spirit is working through me. You know what I see so many times with people in their walks and their lives and with Christians, and, and, and I see in myself? We don't move from level to level. We move from emotion to emotion. We move from moment to moment in Christianity. And I'll be honest, I feel that way with myself. You ride one moment to the next moment. You ride one emotion to the next emotion. One song in a car can make you tear up and say, I'll give it all. And the next moment, the next shaky moment in your life, the very foundation of your faith is shaken. And I see people move from emotion to emotion. I see them move from moment to moment in, in, in a high point in church or a high point in a service or a high point in teaching or something comes alive on the inside of you when Pastor Sam is speaking or when someone else is speaking here. Something comes alive on you and it begins all of a sudden it's this, this moment, this emotion that gets a hold of you. Or some people come to the altar and, and they do the quake and they do the shake and they do the fall down and, 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 but, but Monday through Saturday it's a completely different lifestyle than it was here on Sunday, because it's moving from emotion to emotion. And Peter seemed like a guy who was doing a little bit of moving from moment to moment, emotion to emotion. And you know what advances the kingdom of God and what, when we walk according to our calling, what helps us do that is not emotion to emotion. It's level to level. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone that, that my, the very foundation of my faith is shaken in difficult times or circumstances or situations. I want to be someone that moves from glory to glory and that constantly reflects the glory of the Lord. So I know that if I don't want to be someone who's just moved by that emotion, but I want to be moved only by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying there aren't emotional times through the Holy Spirit because there are but not someone that's shaken by emotions or moments because a move of god is is a move of god is not a great moment a move of god is not a great emotion a move of god is a great lifestyle a move of god 
is Monday morning waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? Tuesday morning, Tuesday night. You know, David Shibley, when, when he, he was here teaching some of the guys, this is what he said, that one of the major things that got a hold of me, it wasn't even, uh, you know, that big or epic of a statement. He said this, he says, there aren't many times, and I wouldn't believe that, you know, he should lie. You know, you just don't get a sense of that. But he says, there are not many times in my life, very few times in my life that I've ever gone to bed without spending time with the Lord, without praying and reading my Bible. He said, unless I come in from a foreign country and I am just zapped. He said, but even then, there are very few times that I could count on my hands that I have gone to bed without spending time with the Lord. And he said, it's not legalism, it's just loyalty. And I thought, that's level to level. That's not emotion to emotion. That's I've got a thousand other things going on and a thousand other distractions and they're doing this and we're doing this and there's kids running everywhere or there's this, you know, in my life or I'm, I'm fearful of this. It's just being set in the refuge. It's being set in the secret place and saying, today I've got to seek the Holy Spirit. If I want to move from being a Peter that was just operating in phileo love to an unconditional love, I need the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Let me close with this real quick, and then we'll, we'll go. I read a story. I read, uh, I read the book not too long ago, Great for God by, by David Shibley. And uh, it's a great book. I encourage everybody to read it because it's just short stories about missionaries. And uh, the second, I think it's the second chapter, there's a man in there named Roland Bingham. And uh, Roland Bingham was a man from England, Sussex, England, and uh, he got born again through the Salvation Army in 1893. And uh, he got saved, and he, he ended up living in Canada and started going to Bible school in Canada there, and he met this, this elderly lady um, who he prayed with, and, and she had a son named Walter who had a heart for, you know, third world countries and needy countries around the world, and he was very knowledgeable about this. So they kind of started talking and hanging out and spending time together. And then all of a sudden, uh, God called Roland to become to preach the gospel. And God put this burden on his heart for Sudan, the Sudan in Africa. And at 1893, I mean, there was no, there was no cure for malaria, you know, and there was, no, uh, there was no medicine for malaria. And back then, it was just, I mean, a lot like it is now, but probably even worse conditions with the tribes and everything like that and the governments, if there was any at all. And, but God put a burden on him to, to bring the gospel to the Sudan. And he was known for this phrase. He says, I'll open Africa to the gospel or I'll die trying. And so he teams up with Walter and another roommate from college, and they set out, and, and, and they don't set out on a Learjet or a Boeing 747. They set out on a sailboat, and to sail all the way from, you know, wherever they sailed out from, Canada or wherever it was, over to Africa. And they get there, and they land in Nigeria, and there's a missions agency there in Nigeria who... They're thinking, okay, well, this is cool. You know, we'll get some encouragement. I'm sure they were thinking that, or we'll get some care and some, you know, some words of wisdom and everything. And they show up, and their missions agency said this to them. They said, you will never reach the Sudan. You will never make it. They said, your children will never see the Sudan. 
your grandchildren may see the Sudan. And so he's just rolling his completely, it says in the book, he's completely disheartened by this, this word. And he was really disheartened when he came down with malaria and got sick. He got stuck in Nigeria and his friends promised to continue on to the Sudan and bring the gospel to Sudan. And they went for 800 miles all the way to Sudan. And that neither one of them made it there or made it back because they were both killed or actually both died. One of them was killed by a local tribe there and the other one got malaria and he died. So back to Canada. Disheartened, discouraged, beat up questioning God, I'm sure. He said that when he got to Canada, he began, to, he said the very foundation of his faith was shaken. Because God spoke to him, go to the Sudan, preach the gospel. I've anointed you to preach the gospel. So he said after a while, he chose not to give up. He got some medical, uh, medical training, learned how to do CPR, got a little bit of basic medical training, got some more Bible schooling, became a, a pastor of a small church, got married all within about seven years. And he says, but his heart still burned for Sudan. So he took off for the Sudan again, this time bringing four other people with him from Canada. So he takes off for the Sudan a second time, meets the missions agency in Nigeria. They said the very same thing, the very same thing. You will never see the Sudan. Your children will never see the Sudan. Your grandchildren may. Well, he gets sick again. Malaria. Struck down with malaria. Has to stay there. And that he gets so sick, he's going to have to return. But his four companions promised that they would keep going and they would continue the journey and bring the gospel into Sudan. Well, it said that all four of them gave up, two of which because they died. One malaria, one killed. And the two of them got so sick that they had to go home and they could actually never return again. Roland comes back to Canada the third time. Absolutely darkest. He said, it was the darkest time of my life. The darkest time of my life, questioning God, questioning where is God. No telling what the thoughts were running. I mean, just at this huge defining moment. He gets back. He gets more training. Gets more Bible training. He takes three other people with him, and he goes back for the third time all the way to Sudan. He said, but this time, they made it into the Sudan. They made it all the way there. But he said, for four years, it was some of the hardest ministering ever. Only a few people in that four years had been converted to Christ. Only a few years and four years. So this is like 1893 to 2004, this guy. And all of that has led four, like just a few people converted to Christ. You're thinking, just hang it up, man. Go back and become the pastor of the church. And he says, we stayed there and they learned how to pray and have invisible warfare. And they learned how to pray it through. And he says, after years of breaking through finally... They start the Sudan Interior Mission, which is SIM today, which is actually a big missions organization today. And it said that after 50 years of ministering in the Sudan, he wrote a 50-year book about his life in the Sudan. And that personally, through him, 10,000 people were led to Jesus. And 1,000 churches were birthed in the Sudan. He said medical centers and orphanages and all these incredible things were done in the Sudan because they finally broke through. It's an amazing story of never giving up and never giving up on God. And I don't say that, and I read that story and I decided to share it tonight. I'm wrapping up in the next two minutes. 
I'm, I don't sit, share that story because I want you to be a missionary and I want you to become a martyr for Christ and, and I want you to go out on the mission field. If that's what God has for you, then you need to do that. But the only way that we respond to that kind of calling is through an agape love. The only way that we're able to continue to serve the Lord and to fulfill the calling that He has on our life and to continue to go day in and day out is the guidance and the direction and the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way. I'll tell you guys, I'll be honest with you, when I wake up and I don't spend time with the Holy Spirit, I look like me, which is not pleasant. When I wake up and I have intimacy and I look and I spend time with the Holy Spirit, I demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that makes me and transforms me into the image of Jesus. And to fulfill my calling and for you to fulfill that calling and move from level to level and glory to glory, we have to spend time with the Holy Spirit. We have to let him go to work on our life. Amen? Let me pray for you guys tonight and pray for myself as well. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for uh, this word that was... uh, Lord, that has been with us for, for thousands of years now, God. Lord, I thank you that it's living and active. And, and Father, I just thank you that, Lord, I thank you that there's encouragement that where Peter had defining moments and he missed it, that, that, does, that means you don't give up on us, Lord. And you have grace for us and, and you're willing to come find us and you're willing to uh, have defining moments with us because you need us, Lord. And we need you in return, God. And so, Father, I just pray that this passage would absolutely come alive in our life tonight. Lord, I want to personally, I know these this church family does too, God, we want to move from that just neighborly, affectionate love to an agape, unconditional love, Lord. Because if you really want to do, if you really want to build your church on us, on your on the body of Christ, Lord, then we have to be people who are responding in an agape love, Lord. We have to be people that are ministering out of an agape love, Lord. So I pray that we would be, we would stay in step with the Holy Spirit, that we would stay in sync with the Holy Spirit, that we would make a daily decision to wake up and say, I need the work of the Holy Spirit at work in my life today. I need to spend time with the Holy Spirit and I need to Him to reveal things on the inside of my life that need to come out and some things that need to come in. So Father, I pray that we would get serious about this, Lord, so that we can respond with that agape love that you've called us to do and what you need for us to operate in. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Man, let's give Ryan a a love hand. Let him know we appreciate the word of God. Amen. Very encouraging to me. Interesting thing about Peter when Jesus said that first on that defining moment, he said, all of you are going to leave me. You're going to scatter. He said, I will never do that. Yeah. What he was saying was, I agape you. But he realized, nope, didn't quite have what it took. But you know what? God's working us over. Amen.